We're going to Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. And I want to take you take your time now and get your Bible open. And look at me, look look to verse number twenty-nine with me. Luke nineteen and verse twenty-nine. Could I say that this is as you already know, what we call Palm Sunday. The Palm Sunday account is mentioned in all four Gospels. There are only eight narratives altogether mentioned in the four Gospels, and this is one of them. And you need to read them all, or if you don't, it'll be a, jigs- a jigsaw That'll not be completed. If you want to get the whole story of this week, then you'll need to consider Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. And we're at the Luke's account, and we're at this verse 29. And it came to pass when he came nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entrance ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, and he knew all things, and he knew that they would ask, if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went away and found even as he had said unto them, And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose you the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. They just said said what the Lord told them to say. And we need to say what the Lord tells us. There's no bad bits to it or take bits out of it. Just just say what he says. We'd, we'd, We'd have a very happier church if that would be the way. Why loose you the colt? They said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. 
peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known even now, at least in this thy day, the thing, now watch this we phrase here, the thing which belonged unto thy peace. It's not just peace itself, there's things that belong to peace. And there's things that we have to do if we're going to get the peace of God. Things that belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. And we know that God will bless to us the public reading of his own eternal word. In God's eternal sovereign calendar, there are four days that stand out and eclipse all other days that this world has ever known. In all the millennia of history, there were never days like them, nor never will be. Day number one was the day that God created the world, or the days that he created the world. Genesis 1 and verse 1. Secondly, the day that the world was redeemed, ransomed and redeemed from sin and death at hell on Calvary's hill. The third day is the day in which he will judge the world. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world. And the fourth day is the day that the world will be destroyed and melt with fervent heat and be burnt up with fire. This being Palm Sunday, we're dealing with day number two, the day that the world was redeemed. Or I say the days that the world were redeemed. For this week leads up to Calvary and where there on the cross the Lord Jesus Christ, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Now some call this week Holy Week. Some call it Passion Week. Some call it Easter Week. 
Herbie Locker calls it the week that changed the world. And what a week this was from Sunday to Sunday. Up until now, the 33 years that our Lord has been on earth, he has concealed himself to a measure. Although he was God incarnate amongst the people, he discreetly went undercover, and there's very little of the early part of his life that we know anything about. And even when his public ministry began, he shrouded and hid himself many times. After he raised Jairus' daughter, he charged them that no man should know it telling the disciples when they came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, tell no man. Time and time again, he says, my time has not yet come. And when they tried on one occasion to make him king, he fled from the midst. Isaiah says he did not strive nor cry nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. And John says, there standeth one among you whom you know not. He blended in with the people many times, passing through the midst of them. Palm Sunday, as we call it. He stepped out of the shadows. He stepped early out of the home of Mary and Martha on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. And he started on his campaign trail for three miles to the cross at Jerusalem. This day was the first day and the last week of our Savior's life. He had seven days to fulfill his manifesto. He had seven days to fulfill what was published and prophesied about him by priests and prophets and kings. And I can say that every prophecy, picture, parallel, or shadow, way back from Deuteronomy right through the Word of God, every one of them was fulfilled to a T when he rose from the dead. He crammed into this week, April 33 AD, he crammed into this week some mighty events that change indeed, Locker says, the world. Times were changed and dates were changed and systems were changed and people were changed. Now how do you think, how do you think he launched this massive campaign that changed the world in which we are celebrating this morning? Did he commence it like the representative of Ukraine the other day calling unto Europe? Of three requests, he said, weapons, weapons, weapons. Did he commence it as Churchill rallied the people in the Second World War to stand together? We'll fight them on the beaches. We'll fight them in the fields. And we'll fight them in the land. No, he didn't. 
How did the lonely Lord Jesus commence his march to the cross in Jerusalem? Do you know how he commenced it? By sending two of his disciples to get a donkey. The donkey, the lowest beast, a burden to be found. Go over to the village and you'll find a colt tied. Loose him and bring him to me. And on him he got. What laughter there must have rang out. The king is coming because that's what Zechariah said. And that's what the Old Testament prophesied. The king is coming on a donkey. The context, my friend, and the history of all this is kings in those days came on white stallions. Came on stallions girded with trophies hanging from them and feathers. With an entourage of hundreds of ponies prancing beside them. Pilate on a regular basis. Pilate on a regular basis came in from the west on a white stallion and came down through Jerusalem checking on his guards and checking on his men and making sure that everything was in order because Rome had them in subjection for 70 years. But Jesus is not interested in following the world. He is interested in fulfilling the word. He wants every scripture that's prophesied to be fulfilled. And every bit of it was. As he came down Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. What momentous days. Let me just give you what a brief resume of these days. Sunday was a day of jubilation. They cast the palm branches and the clothes of their back and shouted, Hosanna. Monday was the day of purification when he cleansed the temple. Wednesday was the day of isolation. You'll search very hard through the scriptures to find him doing anything on the Wednesday. He seems to have spent the Wednesday with the house, in the house of Bethany and with his disciples preparing. Thursday was the day of his rejection when he was betrayed and denied, when the disciples forsook him and fled and when he went into Gethsemane and the angels had to come to strengthen him. Friday was the crucifixion. Saturday was the separation They've taken away my Lord and I don't know where he laid him. And Sunday was the resurrection day. Now if you want an account for those, I'll give them to you. And if you want to study every day this week as you go down it, and I think it would do you good to do that. Just think on Wednesday, where was he at, or Thursday, where was he at this time? Friday, Thursday, or Tuesday, where was he at this? Think of it. And meditate upon it in the scriptures. But we're at Luke 19 this morning here. And we're at verse 41. And I want to get your eyes on verse 41. You see it says in this verse. In Luke's account. 
And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it. There was a triumphal entry, but a tearful exit. Now hold that in your mind. Oh, there was a triumphal entry when they shouted and they clapped and they sang and they took their coats off and they cut down the palm branches and they scattered them before them and they were ecstatic and there was multitudes and they shouted and they praised. A triumphal entry, but there's a tearful exit. And many of the things starts in triumph, my friend, and it ends in tears. Many of the marriage starts in triumph and ends in tears. Many a job starts in triumph and ends in tears. Many a day starts in triumph and ends in tears. Many a year. There's triumph and there's tears. Now the title for my message this morning is Why Did Jesus Weep? On Palm Sunday. That's my title, Sharon, for this message. Why did Jesus weep on Palm Sunday? That's the question, and as always, the scriptures have the answer. There are only three times in the Word of God when we read that Jesus Christ wept. In John 11, he wept over a man in the name of Lazarus. In Luke 19, he's weeping over a nation. In Hebrews 7, in Gethsemane, with strong cries and tears, he wept over a world that rejected him and was lost. But the strongest of all these words for his weeping is here in Luke 19. It is the Greek word kaliho. And it means to weep and to wail and to howl with convulsions. Now I want you to get a picture of this because the scene has changed here. It has dramatically changed from Sunday morning to Sunday evening. George Campbell Morgan says that he believes that the very pony or the very colt that he was riding vibrated under his convulsing tears. Contrast this beside the whole multitude, plus the disciples, and there were many disciples, it says, not just the twelve, Praising, shouting, singing, Hosanna! Save us! Rescue us! Our day has come! Chucky Allah! The Romans are going to be driven out! The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords has come! And with a miracle or two, he'll scatter the whole lot and we'll be free again from the bondage of Rome. Ho ho! What a shock! What a disappointing failure this day turned out to be. Are you with me now? What a laugh the Romans must have had. The soldiers that were guarding and garrisoning the big Passover feast where they say a million and a half people came into these Roman soldiers that had hammered them into subjection and as they watched from their watchtowers and from their guards and from the city, when they saw their king is coming, 
The carpenter's coming on a donkey and he's crying. The laugh. What a laugh that must have been. What a humiliation it must have been for the Jews. What a tragedy for the disciples. Well, James and John, they thought they were going to get into the cabinet of this new regime. And Peter thought he was going to be prime minister and Judas the chancellor. They had their hopes all built up. But everything just went down like that. Don't build your hopes up too high on anything. Do you not? There's some of you this morning and you have your hopes resting on fickle things. And you just be careful. Let the Lord minister to you this morning. What a tragedy. What a laugh for Rome. You see anybody that cried in the Roman regime, they were weak. Romans never cried. They were hard, wicked, evil. And to see the carpenter of Nazareth, here's our king. <laughs> oh, here's their king. And he's on a donkey and he's crying. He's weeping. You get the picture now. Well, try and process it in your mind. Because that's the picture. There's a wee verse in John 12 and 16. You don't turn to it. But it throws an awful lot of light in this. And you'll only get these things if you study. And here's what John says in John 12 and 16. These things understood not the disciples at first. When Jesus was glorified, they remembered. So, the disciples are clapping and they're cheering and they're praising, but they don't understand what they're doing. Oh. Hallelujah, the king is coming. And the multitudes and the praises of the king and the disciples all out in the middle. Hallelujah. They didn't know what they were praising about. What were they praising about? They didn't understand. Well, we can sing hymns here, you know, and we can sing courses here and we can sing praises here and we can say hallelujah. Do you understand what you're singing? Huh? Psalm 47 says, Sing ye praises with understanding. And Jesus told them to praise. He says, if you don't, the stones will cry out. We're not arguing against that. But we need to make sure that our praises and our songs are grounded in the Word of God. In the Scriptures. They didn't know the Scriptures. Because if they would have known the scriptures fully, they would have known this was going to be the outcome. It was a cross, not a crown. You want the crown, but you don't want the cross. 
And there's some of you not saved here this morning. You don't want the cross. Well, there's no crown and there's no glory for you. Only via the cross. They didn't understand. Remember David when he was bringing the ark up? You remember they, they put it on a new cart and the boys that had no right to have anything near that near it. They put it on a new cart. They should have had it on the shoulders of the priest. They should have had the loops in and the poles in. They should have already. But oh, they never bothered. Just put it on a new cart and anybody that wanted could get a hold of it. And they're bringing it up and they're, they're going up to it and they're dancing and they're praising and they're singing. God struck us a dead. Took them dead. wasn't pleasing God. I turned on that TBN one morning there. Turned on for something news and came across TBN. I don't know what it is or what it represented, but there was a crowd singing. I thought it was... I didn't know what I was looking at till I heard them mentioning scripture stuff. They were singing and they were praising and they were clapping and there were all sorts of dressing and rings and the tattoos and the everything else on them. I thought it was some Stonehenge or somewhere I was looking at. And then I heard the bits of gospel coming out and there were lies. God's grieved. And don't let us be singing choruses and singing hymns if we don't understand them and if we don't obey them. They understood not. The singing, the clapping, the ecstatic people didn't know the Pentateuch. They didn't know Psalm, the Psalms or Isaiah 53 or Psalm 29 or Psalm 69. They should have known because Jesus told them time and time again, my kingdom is not of this world. It didn't sink in. And it didn't sink in when he rose either. They still doubt it. They should have known. Look at what the verse says. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wiped out, saying, If thou hadst known, if thou would have known. You know, in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says, Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. But blessed are they that mourn now over their sins and repent of them, and they shall be comforted. Oh, look at the world this morning. Look out on this sinful world, my friends, this morning and see them reading their daily newspapers and playing their golf and on their TVs, on their iPads and carousing and reveling and partying and gambling and laughing as the thorns under the pot so is the laughter of a fool. Come across a lovely wee verse of a hymn 
the Son of God and tears the wandering angels see. Be thou astonished, O my soul. He shed those tears for me. He wept like no man ever. He wept. They say it's wailing like someone who lost their, their, their dearest and only child. And he's on the back of a colt. And he's looking out over the city at the end of the day. And he's convulsing and weeping. And I want to tell you why, very briefly. He wept, first of all, in frustration. Am I saying this morning that the Lord Jesus was frustrated that the omnipotent, omniscient, altogether mighty God Am I saying he was frustrated with the people? Yes. Do you know why? Because he couldn't get the scriptural truth home to them. He could calm the storm. He could heal the lepers. He could raise the dead. But he couldn't change their choice. He he never will. He never did. Took the freedom of choice that God give us. If he did, we wouldn't need a Bible because we'd be robots and we'd be directed everywhere. This is what frustrated him, my friend. His years of preaching, his years of praying, his years of fasting. But they rejected him. That you this morning? Is that you? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, how often would I have gathered thee as a hen gathers her chickens under her wing, but ye would not. The Bible says, says ye would not. Then it says ye will not. And then it says ye cannot. I'm 40 years preaching. And I must honestly say this from my heart this morning. I know nothing more frustrating as preaching, praying, fasting to believers and unbelievers who continually and perpetually reject the word. Many a day I go up and throw myself on the bed up there in a sob. And any preacher that's serious about this business will tell you the same. Week in, week out, day in, day out. Calling men and women to repentance. Calling the people of God to obedience. Calling them to be filled with the Holy Ghost and to... Take up the cross and follow him and the sleep in the meetings. I tell you it's frustrating. How must it not have been for him? I'll be baptized another day. 
I'll remember the Lord another day. I'll get saved another day. Frustration. Second thing, and this is, he wept because of the termination. Verse 42, saying, if thou hadst known, even now, if thou hadst known, that's a queer wee phrase, if they had known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. He says, if, if, if thou hadst known, even thou, now he's individualizing us, and you individualize us to yourself this morning. If you would have known, even you at least, in this thy day, the things which belong to the peace, to your peace, in this thy day, there was a day, there was a time, and then he says, the day of visitation, the visitor. Oh, unsaved man or woman, listen to me this morning. You just sit tight. This may be your last day to get a visitation from the Lord. Do you remember times that he visited you? Do you remember times that you were sitting in meetings like this and, and he did come near? Do you remember times when you read the gospel tract and you heard your mother and father praying? Do you remember the times when you switched on the radio and he did come near, he visited you? Oh, yes. But you just rejected him. You just rebelled and just what these people did, I will not have this man to rule over me. Well, I tell you, if I weep over you, and sometimes I do over some of you, if I weep over you, what must the Savior not do? But I can't change your mind, nor, nor Stephen. And Aaron down there preaching the gospel every night, they can't change the minds of these people. What he's saying here, they missed the day. They missed the time and they missed the visitor. He says, now it's hid from your eyes. Do you hear that this morning? You can't get saved when you like. You can't turn on and off God just like a water tap and say, I'll come today and I'll come tomorrow. You can't do that. And listen, believer, this morning, don't you play with God either. Many the times he drew near and visited you and your family and your home. Many the times he spoke to you about this and about that. Many the times he spoke to you about those things that you're at in your business and in your home and other things. Many the day he did. And you're not one bit hair better off for the day, but there's a day when they'll be hid from your eyes. You'll not see them. And you'll not hear them. There'll be no voice from heaven. That's what he's saying to them here. You've missed it. 
That's what the Lord's saying here. You've missed it. You see, there's a day, there's a moment, there's a meeting with God. And in his mercy and in his grace, he speaks through a word, through a text, through a hymn. Oh, I'd love to spend time on this, but I can't. Oh, he says this, lie day, lie day. I wonder when he looked out over Jerusalem, and I'll not be long now, when he looked out over Jerusalem, I wonder what he, what he saw and what he was thinking. I tried last night to get this into my mind. I tried last night to try and find out why the Lord was in such a state. I wonder did he see the man that he called And he said, come and follow me. And he turned to him and he said, I'll not go. He said, I will go. But then he said, I'll not go. I wonder, was he thinking of the man? He said, come and follow me. And he says, I'll bury my father first and then I'll go. His father's still living and he never went. I wonder, did he see the rich young ruler coming who had kept all the commandments but one or two and fell at the feet of Jesus? What must I do to receive eternal life? And he said, sell all that you have and give to the poor. And he went away sorrowful. Why, he's down amongst this crowd in Jerusalem and is hid now from his eyes. Too late. Too late. I wonder, was he thinking of the great invitation supper that he threw out for all the people to come? And if you read that correctly, you'll find maybe there was three invitations. They didn't come to the first one, they didn't come to the second one, and he gave them another invitation. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. I have bought a bit of land. God help us. If a wee bit of land keeps you back from the prayer meeting, God help us if a wee bit of land will keep you out of glory. Or a wee bit of a right of way belonging to some other man that you wouldn't give up and went to court over. God help you. I wonder what he's thinking of the boy. He says, I've just married a wife and I cannot come. He might be glad to come. I wonder what he's thinking of the boy. The boy says, I've bought five bullocks and I have to go and look at them. You'd have thought he had looked at them, wouldn't you? All excuses. Tell me what's your excuse this Palm Sunday morning? What's your excuse? What does he say this morning? Finally, frustration. Termination. It was too late. It's going to be terminated. It's terminated now. It's over. Too late. Never once did he say all that week in Jerusalem. 
He came in the next day and he cleansed the temple. I have no good news for you today this Palm Sunday, let me tell you. Nor have I any good news for you on Monday or on Tuesday or on Wednesday and certainly not on Thursday and Friday or on Saturday, but I have for you next week if you come. I'm not going to start cheering, getting the people cheered up and laughing and singing when the Lord Jesus left this day in this state. I'll leave it the same. We can clap and shout all we like. This is reality here now. And then there's the devastation. See, the Lord Jesus could look down 40 years From the back of that colt, he could look 40 years and he could see everything that was going to happen. He could see that in 40 years, in around about 70 AD, Titus the Roman general would march with the soldiers into Jerusalem where he spent his three and a half years. Wound and wound and crying and praying. He was going to march in and he was going to destroy the temple. You see, the temple was a sacred place and they hid the gold in the the vaults and in the foundations of the temple. The Jews kept the gold because they knew it was safe, but nothing is safe in Ukraine this morning. Nothing is safe when evil men take the floor and they're not hindered. And they're not hindered by gutless governments. And he says that every stone in this magnificent temple that you all love took 40, 50 years, maybe more, building at this lovely, mighty temple, Herod's great temple that he built for the people. He says, there'll not be one stone upon another. They were ransacking for the gold. And listen to what Josephus says. As far as the eye could see, there was nothing only crucified Jews. Rivers of blood ran through and out of every gate. The whole generation perished. Women were murdered and raped in front of their children. Their words came back against them. What was his words? Let me quote it. Their word, didn't they say? His blood be on us and our children. Ho, ho. Let his blood be on us. Well, the blood's on them. On the children. What an end to a day. I don't want you to take home in your mind this morning a happy, clapping crowd that didn't know what they were clapping and happy about. I want you to take home in your mind and your heart this morning and go over all this week and come back next Lord's Day and we'll have something to praise about. I want you to get an image and a vision, my friend, through the week 
of this lovely Savior who would not detour or deviate one winch from the Word of God, not one iota from the Word of God to please pilots, to please men, to please disciples, to please anybody. He fulfilled it right to the end, and it was the way of the cross. Yes, surely he lost everybody. Surely they all forsook him and fled. Surely they mocked him. Surely they stripped him. And talk about crowns. Talk about crowns, my friend. They weaved a crown of thorns and hammered it down on his lovely brow naked on the cross for your sins and mine. If you don't weep over your sins, I'll weep over them for you. Sinner, if you want to go to hell, you'll go past our tears and our cries and our prayer meetings. Believer, if you want to go on rejecting him and disobeying him and rebelling him, then you just go on. But he's brokenhearted. Things that belong to your peace. The things that belong to your peace this morning is repentance, obedience, prayer. Boy, when you get these things, the peace will come. Pass it all. Understand it.